Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Blog Talk Radio. Are you ready to take a bite out of the competition? Are you looking for ideas to make your business better? Welcome to the Core Business Show with Tim GK. Sponsored by Apple Capital Group. At the core of every successful business, you'll find people making a difference. And with each episode of The Core Business Show, we talk with those people, examine those ideas, and explore the strategies that make them special. Now, the host of The Core Business Show, Tim Jacquet. Good morning and welcome to another episode of The Core Business Show. I'm Tim J.K., your host. Today we're going to talk about financing. And still, we are ending our series, uh, rather, on selling to the government. We've been going for the last three weeks. This series will talk about how to finance your uh, your contracts, what other options you need to take a look at in financing. So uh, we'll take a session break and we'll be back in a moment. You're listening to The Core Business Show, sponsored by Apple Capital Group. Apple Capital Group in Jacksonville, Florida, is a commercial lender that specializes in asset-based loans, equipment leasing and financing, invoice financing, commercial real estate loans, and asset-based financing in the U.S. and Canada. Apple Capital Group is a direct lender that lends on their private equity investment portfolio. 90% of most loans are decided within two hours and vendor funding within 24 hours after documents are completed with a one-page application. No slow no's, just a quick decision and a fast yes. To get more information about lending from Apple Capital Group, call 866-611-7457. That's 866-611-7457 to speak with one of our loan specialists or visit us right now at applecapitalgroup.com. Welcome back to the core. Once again, here's Tim Jacquet. I'm going to teach finance. Let me just, um, I don't remember how much you remember of uh, what I said to preview, just very briefly. Uh, one of the things that I've done in my career uh, is I've been in finance. I took a class just like this, believe it or not, in 1995, given by the same company to be a consultant. Three-day class given by this company, stepped out of this three-day class and became a funding source. And I grew my company into over a $100 million a year uh, company here and in Toronto, Canada. So I was the former CEO and founder of a, of a big finance company. I sold that portfolio in 2001 to a competitor, moved over there, became the executive vice president of business development for them. No longer there, semi-reti- pretty much semi-retired, but uh, I still in my real life, uh, outside of the seminar industry, still I'm a paid consultant for funding sources, bringing them information on how to do federal receivables, bringing them transactions like you to get funded, and I still do that uh, uh, pretty much every day of my life. And I work with consultants that I've trained over the years. Uh, About a year after graduating from that three-day class, I went back as an instructor. And for the last 11 years, I've been a lead instructor for this company. And I've trained over 12,000 certified cash flow consultants in my career. I'm actually leaving here to go to convention, national convention in Atlanta, where I'll be giving four presentations on the financing of federal receivables to certified cash flow consultants. 
So that's pretty much what I do. I am, I've been a trainer for a long time, but I've also been a financier. And I wrote this material, and some of this material is a material that I've gone around the country delivering under the name When the Bank Says No. I've, uh, I'm on the faculty of Minority Business Development uh, Agency. I'm on the faculty of the Alliance for Government Vendors. I give uh, speeches uh, around the country in some of those places. And um, really what I'm going to teach you now is acquiring the capital to fund these new transactions we're hoping you're going to get if you take down the award. And I'll tell you, to make this interesting for you, part of what we don't care about is your creditworthiness. Everybody in this room, I can get any amount of money for at a competitive rate. Every company in this room could be funded at a competitive rate for as much as you need. Sounds impossible. Absolutely doable. And I will just want to uh, make you aware of a clause that Ted showed you in the IFB, which was the Assignment of Claims Act. And I'm going to discuss that Assignment of Claims Act, but that is the government's act of Congress. And it's a provision for you to get that financing regardless of how small you are. Regardless of your personal creditworthiness, you can have bankruptcies. None of that really matters. And that's because the federal government is the strongest payor in the world. I'm going to talk a little bit about factoring, which is the Assignment of Claims Act. The Assignment of Claims Act is actually the Assignment of Invoice Act. And that was passed in 1986. It's actually a follow-up to the Small Business Act of 1953. In 1953, we started recognizing minorities. What the first minority we recognized was the largest minority, which was women. And, of course, as we recognized more minorities as time went on, we also recognized that even though we were setting aside the ability to win certain awards, what we were not doing was providing them with the ability to finance those awards. And so in 1986, Congress passed the Assignment of Claims Act. We're going to talk about that. Let's talk about why you might need to raise capital. You're going to have a need to raise capital, of course, because we're hoping you're successful out there winning awards. And I want to tell you, quite frankly, go out there and win any size award you want as long as you know how to handle the manpower and your business. I'll be glad to handle the capital for you. Just go out there and win any award that you can. And I told you some things that I have financed. I, I financed 400 pretty good-sized deals in the last couple of years. And I, and I remember saying to you, I had a very small group of Vietnamese gentlemen, seven young guys that were really highly skilled in IT, who took down a $10 million contract and made uh, Verizon their subcontractor. So they couldn't ramp up. I also had a small minority company, African-American, two young women, who win a medical transcription bid, $20 million over the next three years. And certainly couldn't do that. Now, what I did was I went out and found a very large subcontractor who can do the medical transcription. And his issue was, yeah, but if she's the prime, she's going to get paid. What assurance do I have she'll pay me as the sub? So I worked it out. I'm going to be factoring them so the government will send me the money, and I will pay you as the sub directly. And they came on board. So she made her money. So there's really no award that's too large uh, to handle as far as the finance is concerned, especially when you bring in somebody like me or some, uh, another finance company because they can work that kind of stuff out. I even had a uh, minority gentleman who won a, a, a proposal, and I, I might have told you this story, uh, to supply a truckload of turkeys to an Air Force base. And same thing, the government was a little concerned. He was new at this. Uh, you know, they're going to send him the money for the turkeys, and something goes wrong and there's no turkeys, it, it will be a loss. We came into a factor. Uh, we purchased order funded it. We paid for the turkeys, got him his turkeys. We got paid by the government, gave him his portion, and the Air Force Base had their turkeys. So there's a lot of ways to skin a cat. You can be a prime and take down a very large contract, and the financing for that could be worked out. Okay, these are right here, you recognize this. Some of you are in services. You will need additional staffing. You will be ramping up your staffing. Very specifically, when you have staffing, many of you who have, have these issues will also have bi-monthly payrolls. And what happens in the ramp-up phase is the following. You submit an invoice at the beginning of the month for the previous month. And that invoice for the previous month may not cover the month you're in because you have put new staff on. So you've got $100,000 submitted as an invoice, but you've got 120 in payroll for the month you're in. Not a problem. We'll take your worksheets and your time cards for the first 25 days of the month and fund you for everything you've done that month to date and just catch up on the remaining five days when you produce your actual invoice. So a funding source will guarantee you make payroll. 
Now, the beauty of guaranteeing that you make payroll is that payroll is your most important asset. Uh, if you are in any kind of staffing and you don't make payroll on Friday, and to many of us, no matter what we're in, you don't make payroll on Friday, you're in hot water. So you have a guarantee by the funding source to make that second payroll. Okay, new equipment. Some of you will be needing equipment, and that could even be phone systems and computers to, to be able to ramp up. And in your case, it's, you know, obviously it's equipment. Uh, raw materials, larger premises. All of these things can be funded, by the way. All right, there are three ways to raise capital in this world, and there are only three ways, and those are the three ways. You've got to sell something in return for capital. Either you sell your piece of your business, and let me just stop and say something about selling a piece of your business. Somebody has to be interested in what it is you do to buy a piece of it. You can sell your creditworthiness, and that's when you get a traditional loan. You're selling yourself or your creditworthiness to the bank, and you're convincing the bank that you're capable of borrowing money and paying it back. And then you hear words like debt-to-loan ratio, and let's see what your cash flow analysis look like. Is there more cash coming in than cash going out? And you really have to do a prove-up. In factoring, the only thing you sell is the receivable that you want to be funded on. So what you're really doing is just swapping. You're giving the funding source the paper, and he's giving you the cash in advance of the payment. So you're paid within 24 hours for whatever it is you do. You're never really waiting to get paid. Now, somebody's going to say, well, what about the Prompt Pay Act? They're guaranteed to pay in 30 days. Well, there are issues with getting paid in 30 days, whether you filled out the paperwork properly. Another issue could be what the actual point of entry is and what the government considers day one. And typically, you're going to see 45 to 60 days in a lot of cases. So those are the three ways that you can raise capital. Okay, the equity overview. You sell company stock, and that represents an ownership stake, an ownership stake in exchange for your cash. You raise capital this way through private offerings, public offerings, and venture capital. So some of you heard of the 504, the 505, the 506. Those are small public offerings. And I'll tell you, even in advance of some of these slides, you have to be real careful with that because once you start doing that, you are regulated by the Securities Exchange. And when you start doing that, you are also setting what we call a liquidation ratio. If you sell stock to your mom for a dollar a share, you can't sell it to somebody else for a hundred a share. You cannot have a preferred lender. And you don't get a slap on the hand, by the way. When you violate Securities Exchange Commission, it's a federal violation. It's a felony three. It's racketeering. All Securities Exchange Commission violations are racketeering violations. So you want to be real careful. And if you do a PPO, if you come out there and you do a private offering, a 504 or a 505, and God forbid you come to the marketplace and your stock sells for $1.30 a share, and you've sold off 15% of your company for $1.30 a share, you might have raised thirty grand and no longer own 15% of your company. And the bad news is that whatever you sell off or dilute moving forward will be at the same ratio. I've actually funded companies whose stock was worth $0.25 cents a share. And they'd say to me, hey, man, we don't sign personal guarantees. We're a publicly traded company. To a funding source, when your stock is worth $0.25 cents a share, you are not a publicly traded company. You're signing a personal guarantee because there's no value to your stock. So what else do you need? You need interesting part, an interested party. I mean, if somebody can be interested in your business. Right now, typically, the venture capitalists are interested in things like medical technology or high-tech items. Sixty-two percent of all the venture capital last year went into medical technology. One in every 3,000 deals was funded. So your chance of venture capital is nil. Even if you wanted it, we in the industry call it vulture capital because typically they'll take 70 to 80% of your company. 
The idea is if they're interested in what you do and they take your company, the idea is to take it public, cash out immediately. You're no longer in a management position. So when you sell a piece of your company, you also sell a piece of management and you sell decision-making power. And once you do that, by the way, you no longer write checks for your brand new car to yourself. You have to justify to the stockholders that you need a new car. You're not no longer totally 100% in control of management either. So that's, this is an equity position. Now, the other downside to this is when you are incorporated, you would have to go to a, a C Corp. You cannot take an S Corp public. You have to be C Corp, and you have to start recording everything immediately uh, because you, uh, the C Corp is what they're going to look at when you go public. The downside now when you're small, getting ready for that, is the double taxation involved in a C Corp. So it's not good now for you to be a C Corp. You're much better off as an S Corp, but if you're ever going to go public, you can't be an S Corp. Now you've got to immediately be a C Corp. And once you go to C Corp, you can't go back to S Corp. Been there and done that. <laughs> okay. And most of all, business plan and executive summary, and you have to make full disclosure. Failure to disclose even an omission of fact or a misrepresentation that you make by accident is a felony three. So we want to be careful with equity deals. Okay, so the equity process, very simple. You know, you find somebody who likes what you do. You sell them stock. You transfer stock. They actually get stock certificates right out of your corporate book. They become a part owner, and they now have an influence. You can't just do things anymore without consulting with that stockholder. 60 Minutes does a story like once every two years about the nun that owns one share of Coca-Cola. And she shows up in New York, because by law you have to have a stockholder meeting once a year for a minimum of two hours, and the CEO or CFO has to show up. CEO of Coca-Cola shows up in New York, and he's going to give the state of the business for Coca-Cola. And the one nun, she's got everything that this guy did over that year. I want to know why you made this loan, why we borrowed $800 million to go into the movie industry, which hasn't returned anything. She's one stockholder. She beats him to a pulp for about 45 minutes. And this is a lot of stuff that the other stockholders weren't even aware of until she showed up. They'd like to have this lady killed. <laughs> the upside, what's good about an equity transaction? What's good about it is you don't have debt. Anything happens to the company, you don't owe anybody any money, you don't have a... You know, quite different than a bankruptcy where you're going to have to have a payment plan and pay everybody back. Here, they take risk. They give you the money hoping they're going to get a return on their investment, and if they don't, they're losers, and they go away, and that's the end of the story. So it doesn't create any debt, but it gives you unlimited working capital because you can keep liquidating the company. Certainly wouldn't want to liquidate any further than 51%, but you can continue liquidating the company and raising capital anytime you have somebody who wants to buy stock. Okay, and it allows for growth. You can grow your company unlimited. So there are some good things, there are some bad things. Try to point out a little bit uh, on both of these. Anybody here in the class entertaining the idea of an equity position for their company? Okay, let's move to the next one. Uh, downside, by the way. Compliance with SEC, dilutes your ownership, reduces management, involves liquidation ratio. So that's by way of review. That's the downside. Okay, debt. You go to the bank, you want to borrow money, you can use anything you want as collateral, real estate, equipment, inventory, or your receivables. You can get small business lines of credit. And there, let's talk about a small business line. You, you want 100000 200000 That's a small business line of credit. And if you know you've been doing business with your bank for 28 years, the bank will give you a small business line of credit. It's like any other kind of loan where they take about 300% collateral. Uh, to, to, right? <laughs> the, Right, and as you create new collateral, that doesn't increase your credit line. That just makes them feel more safe. And if you have that, you know, that's, that's inexpensive, doesn't have a lot of fees associated with it, uh, very common for a small business. It does limit growth because it typically going to be in a fifty, hundred, two hundred thousand dollar $200,000 line, maybe, maybe sometimes a little bit more if they're real comfortable with you. The next level would be what we call a facility. And that's typically what we call an asset-based line. And an asset-based line could be a million, five million, ten million. That's where the lines of credit get rather large. And in some cases, they'll take all of that collateral, but in other cases, they may just take the receivables in an asset-based line. And what you're entitled to there is based on your collateral. The more receivables that you build as your receivables base, the more money they're going to lend you against those receivables. This is a loan. 
Now, this might include some fees. This might include the due diligence fee, which is not refundable. Uh, this may include a lockbox fee. This may include what they call a collateral management fee. In other words, every day you're going to let them know how much receivables you have, and they're going to determine how much they can lend you against those receivables. So they charge you for looking over your account daily. That's called availability of the funds. You're also going to have what's called a facility fee. So if you borrow $5 million, if you have a, available to you $5 million, and this is not like a small business line. You can't just write out checks for the whole $5 million. You can only write out checks for what they tell you is available to you based on what they've got. If you've only got a million in receivables, you can't write checks for more than 800000 The line will take you to $5 million, but it's not like your small business line, which we all do the same thing, right? We go, we borrow 100000 we come back to our office, open up a checkbook, write out the check for 100000 put it in the business, because that's why we borrowed it. We needed it immediately. In this case, you can't do that. You can only write based on what's available. Now, that facility fee, which is a fee to have the money available to you, typically anywhere from a half to 1% annually, which they'll take right out of your bank account January every year. So that could be $50,000 to have the $5 million available. Now, if you don't use the whole $5 million, let's say you're only using the million. There's $4 million that's still available to you. They also have what's called a standby fee. That's the fee to have the other $4 million standing by. Effective cost of money, by the way, on an asset-based line, so when somebody says to me, prime one or prime two, if they truly have an asset-based line with a million, five million, ten million dollar facility, their effective cost of money could be anywhere from 22 to 33% annually. But they'll say to you, I'm borrowing at prime plus one. Do the math. Prime plus one could be as little as 20% of what you're really paying. The other 80% are fees, and that's how banks legitimately avoid usury. That's, that's mind-boggling. Actually not, for all of us who have been to the bank. So what do you need to do this? You need a track record, typically two years in business. They're going to look at projections to see on your projections that you are increasing cash flow and increasing your revenue so you can afford to pay them back. So you want to have a lot of good financials. Uh, they'll do a complete audit on you. And by the way, you pay for the audit fees throughout the year also. They'll do four audits a year, and they're typically like two, three thousand a piece. They'll charge you seven fifty a day for each person that comes out. They always manage to send three or four people out. You pay the hotel bills, the phone bills, everything else for them. So banks charge that also. And so they want to know that you've been profitable. You want to show that you're profitable if you're going for a line this size. So this is not available to everyone because not everyone can sell themselves on this kind of creditworthiness. Interestingly, uh, um, I was able in my very first year of business as a factor to sell Wells Fargo on a $5 million facility. And I'll tell you how I did it. I raised $5 million in private capital. And then I went to Wells Fargo and said, I'll tell you what I'll do with you. For every dollar of yours I lose, you take one of my private dollars. And they agreed. So I was collateralized one-to-one. -one. That gave me $10 million to use in my funding company. That's pretty much how I got it off the ground. I didn't have any money of my own, but I was able to, to maneuver the funds. The debt process. You approach the bank, a loan company, you get down on your knees, and you beg. <laughs> no, let me tell you, let me tell you the more polite one. Uh, you offer collateral, and the collateral typically cannot be just 100%. If you're going to borrow a million, they want more than a million. Right, so you have to have enough collateral to exceed the amount of money you're looking to borrow. And then you get a term. Most asset-based lines are three years, by the way, and they do include what we call termination penalties. So if you uh, run out of funds and you want a larger facility and they're not willing to give it to you, termination on $5 million is typically $300,000 just to get out. So they do include termination penalties. Welcome back to the core. Once again, here's Tim Jacan. Upside, positive. Cost of money is very low. Typically, everybody now is in the prime to prime plus six arena, with the average being somewhere around prime plus one, prime plus two. So you're borrowing money at seven, eight percent annually. 
not including some fees that we discussed previously. Uh, you have availability of lenders. There are a lot of people out there looking to do business with you. I will tell you that the world of finance, as far as the traditional lending institutions like banks, are divided. Uh, some will not touch a federal receivable, and others really like it. So some look at it and say, we're guaranteed to get paid. It's very strong. The other side look at it and say, you can't sue the federal government. We don't want to do business with anybody. We can't sue. So they don't like federal receivables. So in what I have been doing over the years was, finding a lot of clients who had great asset-based lines that didn't want to walk away from them. And so they didn't want to have me pay off the bank and then come over to me and find them a factor. So what we did was we simply said to the bank, keep all of your collateral. We'll fund the government part that you don't like. We'll file a UCC on the, the government side. We'll fund the government side. We don't want the rest of this collateral. You can keep that, and we'll just do the stuff you don't like. And most of the banks agree with that. So even if you have a bank line, it's still possible. There's no dilution of ownership, and there's no influence in your management. You retain 100% of the company and where you take your company. So that's positive about debt. The problem with it is that it creates debt. So the exit plan diminishes. The possible sale of a business is diminished by the amount of debt that you have. Uh, the possibility of taking the company public and having an equity offering. Uh, investors don't want to pay off somebody else's debt. The kiss of death is when you have loaned a money company and you're paying yourself back. Why are you getting out and you want my money? Nobody will replace owner debt because they want to know why you're getting out, why you want my money in. If the business is so strong, why wouldn't you keep your own money in? That's what I would ask myself as a lender. Numerous additional fees, and I've only gone to some of them. Uh, by the way, I've tallied it up, and the average asset-based line has 17 additional fees. Business and personal guarantees, you will be signing personally. You will be signing personally, which means other assets that you've accumulated over your lifetime will now be on the line. In an asset-based line, they will actually hunt down not only funds that you might have or things you might own, but everything that could possibly come to you. For example, you will even sign personally that if you wreck your truck and the insurance company is going to pay you to repair it, the check will go to them first. So that if you don't owe them anything, then you can repair your truck. That's how strong the personal guarantee is. You, can't, you virtually will not be able to take in any funds without their approval. Okay, it comes your assets, which limits future borrowing power. UCC stands for Uniform Commercial Code, which, by the way, is not a code. It's, a, it's merely a suggestion by the American Bar Association, which all 50 states have adopted. And the Uniform Commercial Code, you all have, if you've ever borrowed any money, home loans, equipment, whatever you've done, UCCs have been filed on you. It's filed at the state and county level. And it notifies all future funders that those collateral has already been tied up or has already been promised somewhere else. It's a method of notification for each other. So if I go to loan money to Gary or Greg, and I pull a UCC and I see somebody else is in first place, he can't borrow twice against the same truck. Somebody else is in first place. And under UCC, there really is no second place. If the first guy comes after his truck and takes it, what would my collateral be? I'm a loser if I'm in second place. So there really is no second place. Uh, so UCC is on everything and limited amount available, the facility. So you're limit if they give you that million, that's what your growth will be for three years. So you have to know when you go for this facility how big that growth is going to be. Now, here's the downside. I might grow to $5 million. So I get a facility for $5 million. But if I don't really grow that big, I'm paying the standby fee, the facility fee. All those fees based on its size are eating up my profits. If I go for the million and it's not enough, I got a huge termination penalty and nothing I can do for three years. Now, here's another downside in how it fits what you do, an IDIQ contract, where they don't know exactly every month exactly how much business you're going to do. Some months are going to be less. Some months are going to be more. We take the small line of credit. It may not help us in the busy month. We take the big line of credit, and what if the government, and like Dan said, it could be an empty cup. What if it doesn't come through? What if they don't buy 10,000 cases of pencils? And you've got this $5 million facility on standby just in case they do. 
So how big, if you win an IDIQ or a contract that does not have a specific amount of work each month but can go up and down, well, how much line do you take, the small line or the big line? Factoring overview. This is a little different. This is where you take your accounts receivable, and not all of them if you don't want to. You actually decide which accounts receivable you want to participate. And it could be your private sector. It could be your government sector. It could be a little of both. It could be none of your private sector if you don't want it to be. And it doesn't even have to be any invoice on a specific contract. It's only, you only submit an invoice when you feel like you need the funds. Otherwise, you just don't, fund, you don't fax it into the funding source. It doesn't get funded and there are no fees. So you have the choice of submitting whichever ones you want. And it happens to be, under the Assignment of Claims Act, the government's provision for helping businesses like you raise capital. The Assignment of Claims Act addresses this. It's Amendment 2B. Congress passed it in 1986. It specifically provides for you to acquire your capital because they know you may not have the borrowing power. Uh, another example, Creative Tents out of Lake Havasu. She gets a contract for $10 million worth of tents. Previously, she was building $10,000 worth of tents for Sports Authority. Now she's making $10 million worth to be used as hangers over Black Hawk helicopters. Well, what credit line is going to take her from $10,000 a month to $10 million? What bank is going to do that? Where's the history that she can produce that much? Who's paying off the guy that's knitting all this material for her? I mean, he doesn't mind giving her $5,000 a month credit, but when she comes to him and says, all right, can you send me $100,000 worth of material next month? His eyes are going to roll. There's no way he's going on the hook for this lady for hundred k. Somebody has to come in. So it provides for that. The amendment is found in your contracts, and it stipulates that the government will participate with the funding source. We actually work with the contracting officer, and we work with DFAS or the GSA who's ever paying. <clears throat> they have a prescribed method for doing business. They have the paperwork. The paperwork gets filled out. It gets submitted, and they work absolutely hand-in-hand -hand with the funding source. And very often, by the way, we've noticed we'll get paid quicker than you will. Because the government understands the cost of money. And they know when they're dealing with a financial institution. So we typically will get paid more quickly than you will. Matter of fact, when the government wanted those tents so badly in Iraq, they were flying the verification in to help us pay our client on a jet from Iraq into this country and then FedEx it overnight. Because they wanted to make sure we would continue funding that client. All you need for this transaction is the invoice. No other collateral. Just the invoice. So it makes it a lot easier for you. And there are a lot of uh, factors in this arena, by the way, who will allow you to sign a guarantee of validity instead of a personal guarantee. They just want to know you're not going to commit fraud because there's no real payback from you. The government pays them directly, and then they give you your money. It's all done by wire. So because they have less worry about you paying them back and they know they're going to get the check or they're going to get the wire from the federal government, they're more concerned with you creating a fraudulent invoice. So they want to get you on a criminal breach if you're so acclimated. So they'll, they'll give up the personal guarantee for what we call a, a guarantee of validity. It's in, uh, the receivables typically free of tax lien, typically free of UCC filings. If you have guaranteed a specific bank all of your invoices already, you can't sell them. If you have a tax lien, you can't sell what the government already owns. Now, I will tell you that it does not stop a factor. Factor goes right to the IRS agent and works out a payment agreement. It was so powerful for us in Miami that the IRS agent we work with told all his friends that were in the IS what we were doing so we can handle all the people that they had down there in Miami that couldn't pay and, and, and pretty much referred them to us. But they will work out a payment agreement with us. The feeling is... Hey, we're going to pay them. You haven't, but we, we're going to take it right out of your funding. And they'll agree to that, and they'll release those receivables. Now, in other cases where a bank might already have the receivables, the factor comes in and says, we just want you to free up such and such receivables. You can keep the rest of the collateral. Most banks say yes. That's called a subordination. The bank will be willing to subordinate first position on a specific contract. And the factor is willing to take only the receivables for that specific contract as his collateral. Factors take great risk.
Okay, the factoring process. Let me uh, just walk you through this. Let me do just, uh, and I can explain factoring to you like I explain to classes all the time in about 10 minutes. Greg sells flags to Walmart. Let's just use Walmart because you understand strong pay or just like the government. And like all the businesses in this room, right now he's selling three or $4,000 worth of flags to Walmart, and he gives them an invoice, and they pay for those flags 30 days later. So he's right now on a cash flow plateau, as many of you are. He doesn't need any help. He sends out his three or $4,000 worth of flags, gives them an invoice, opens an envelope, and inside the envelope is a check for what he did the previous month. Send out new flags, open a check for last month, send out new, et cetera, et cetera. Now, what impacts a company like this is growth or survival. Now he gets an order from Walmart for $100,000 worth of flags. And he needs, in the factory, $60,000 to be able to manufacture the flags. He needs to come up with $60,000. And $40,000 will be his gross profit. That's a rather large order for him. He goes to the bank, and they're going to say, well, you have no history of doing this much business, or your collateral's tied up, whatever it could be. He goes to his mother-in-law, he borrows the money, he produces the $60,000, the $100,000 worth of flags, he ships to Walmart, gives them an invoice, and they're going to pay. In the meanwhile, they order another order. And this is how the government will work on an IDIQ or some of its contracts. You got through the first month because you borrowed it from a family member, but they're not waiting to pay. You don't get paid first, and then you build another order. The orders will keep coming. Where does the next 60000 come from? And that's where the factor or the funding source comes in. He'll take that first invoice. He'll make sure that Walmart is a strong payer. In the federal government, he doesn't even have to do a credit check. And he'll say, okay, we'll give you immediately $80,000 of that 100000 Sometimes a little less, sometimes a little more. Most cases, especially with me, about 80%. In staffing, it goes 85, 90, because we realize you, you, know, you have only so much, and you've got to make that whole payroll. No point giving you 5% less than your payroll, because where's that coming from all the time? Okay, so he, he's going to get 80% of that typically the next day. He faxes in the invoice. Everything gets verified. 24 to 48 hours, he gets funded the 80% of the $80,000. Now, when the Walmart sends a check to the funding source, the funding source still owes him another twenty thousand. Because the fee is not twenty thousand. I didn't always watch out for myself. Just the advance. So much noise. Why is the advance only eighty percent? Because they still want him to have some cookies on the table. If there was something wrong with those flags and he's been paid in full, why would he want to fix those flags at his own cost? In fact, he wants to make sure we're still on the same team. Fine. And then he'll fix those flags because he hasn't gotten out his profit yet, and he hasn't gotten out all of his costs yet. So the 100000 rolls in, the funding source will now calculate how long the funds were outstanding. And let's say we calculate 30 days, and the funding source has agreed to a 2% discount on 30 days. He will take out 2% of the 100000 which is $2,000. The $2,000 will come out of that 20000 leaving $18,000 to be sent to him. So he will have gotten 80000 and 18000 is 98000 and the funding source will keep $2,000 as a fee, which is not so wicked because in the real world, this flag manufacturer may have gone to Walmart and said, I'll give you a 2% discount if you pay me within 10 days, the famous 2% net 10, which they're going to abuse anyway, and they're going to send them 98000 60 days later. Right? It's not... Yeah, they all abuse it. In this case, the funding source is giving you the money because that, that's what they exist for. And so the fees can be somewhere around two, two and a half. That's about right. It could even be lower than that depending on volume. The reserve. So the fee is not 20000 The fee could be as little as 2% or $2,000. And that's how, that is the entire factoring transaction. Now, there's no debt. It's paid back. There's no equity. You haven't given up a piece of your company. And the beauty of this is if the next invoice, you don't need help, you don't send it to the funding source, and there's no fee involved. So you can do zero. And why you do zero? There are no fees that month for collateral management or having the account open. It's absolutely a zero. The only time there's a fee is if you're sending an invoice and you pay a discount, which is like interest in some ways, right? Because if it was out 60 days, the discount would have gone to 4%. Now, you can control that. You can turn it into a net 30. Sit on the invoice for 30 days and then fund it. Day one would begin 
when you, fun when you fax in the invoice. It has nothing to do with invoice date. You follow that? You don't want to pay for 60 days? Sit on it for 30. And now you have a guaranteed net 30. On the 30th day, fund it, and that's when the clock starts on the, on the discount. So you can actually control your discount fee. You can't control interest. And you can't control a collateral management fee, and a lockbox fee, and a facility fee, and a termination penalty, and liquidation ratios, and all kinds of stuff. In this case, you have complete control over it. Now, I use a, uh, a 2.6, I think this is, but it was a 0 0.00089 per day. 0 0.00089 per day, which you multiply out as 2.67. Now, that's kind of a high fee, by the way. But I, but I figured if you looked at it as a high fee and it was acceptable to you, then you would really be happy with the actual fee. And on $1,000, on a $1,000 invoice where the 800 is advanced, the balance is paid upon collection, and the fee is taken out, you can see if you paid in 21 days, it's $18.69, so that's deducted from the 200. You would have received $981 out of the 1,000, and the funding source would have kept 18 or $19. Effective cost of money, if you want to look at it interest-wise, 1.869%. This is not borrowing, by the way. Big difference. And here's how you can get the difference straight in your head. If you went into an automobile lot and you saw a car for $20,000, but you didn't want to pay $20,000 for the car, and you offered $18,000, and the dealer said, okay, I'll sell it to you for $18,000, you got a $2,000 discount. That's not 24% a year interest. You didn't lend the dealer any money. You bought his car at a $2,000 discount and went away. Somebody bought your invoice at a 2% discount and went away. They didn't lend you anything, and you didn't lend the dealer anything. You go in and you buy a sweater on sale at the, uh, at, the, um, at the department store. You're not lending the department store money. You're simply buying an asset at a discount. So buying is very different than lending. Therefore, you're not creating any debt on the books. You don't owe anybody any money. You're not selling off pieces of your company. You can stop the factory anytime you want. There's no penalty. So it can go with your contract. You want to factor only till that contract is done. You don't want to sign up for a year or two years or three years and have to fund just to meet minimums when the contract has already expired. You might have completed a contract. We, we just did a FEMA contract, $1.5 a month, for three months. This guy doesn't want to sign a contract for a whole year, $1.5 He would have paid fees with his, whole, with his profit. There would be nothing left. So it's a 90-day contract. So it's flexible. There's no startup fees. They, they typically charge about $300 to open an account. That's to look at the UCC filings. They pay a service, check out, make sure that what you're selling is free and clear. You don't lose any equity or control. And what, it's what we call off-balance sheet. For those of you in uh, the world of bookkeeping or accounting, you're showing an 80% payment immediately on the books, and you have a diminishing reserve that's diminishing either daily, weekly, monthly with time as your invoice remains unpaid. It's considered off-balance sheet finance. Your, the availability is unlimited. Funding source, if you need a letter, and do you remember the preview where I put a, a, a turn down for the Section 8A on the screen and it said you must show proof of financing? She had to show proof of financing to finish that 8A. We'll, we'll have a funding source write a letter for whatever amount she needs, $5 million, $10 million, $15 million, because they'll take as high as you have to go. So funding sources will give you proof of financing, the factors. And accounts receivable incumbent only, but not personal or business assets. So you're not pledging all the stuff that you've earned so far on the line to make sure this works for you. Okay. The required periodic payoff. This really only comes with a small business line. Asset-based lines don't have required periodic payoffs, but the small 100,000, 200,000 business line could. The bank can all of a sudden say to you, listen, we want to have a rest period. We'd like you to pay back the entire loan for the month of November. 
and let it sit for 30 days. And then you can start drawing down again December 1. That's pretty hard to do if you have payroll issues. What are you liquidating? You're using the capital to make payroll. So what do you liquidate to put that 100000 back in the bank for 30 days? If you didn't need it, you wouldn't borrow it. And if you can't pay it back for the month of November, you're in default. Default has no repair. Default means you pay us back right now. No higher numerous administrative costs, and we do, they don't restrict funds. Now, here's another one. Some of you may need some materials. This is called purchase order funding. And everybody in this room knows what a purchase order is, right? You get a purchase order. And Bob and you, know, you guys really could get a fairly large purchase order. You need some stuff. So we bring in a purchase order funding source. That's what this, these funding sources do for a living. And let me just give you a visual on how that works, okay? And, and I use the class to show you how quickly this works. So Greg is the flag guy. Stand up, Greg. You're the flag guy. This is where the purchase order came from. This is Walmart. I'll be the factor. You like? Big Walmart. Power corrupts, right? In about one second. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it was one second. He's all right. He's Walmart. Clay will be the PO funding source. In this case, the factor brings in the purchase order funding guy because we do different income streams. We're, I'm buying the receivables. He does purchase order funding. I arrange for him. So what I'm going to do is I take a copy of that PO, and I show a copy of that PO to my buddy here, Clay, the PO guy. He says, okay, I like this deal. It's $100,000 worth of flags. I think we can handle that. Okay, so he's on board. Now what he does is, how much money do you need for the flag material? And he says, 50000 10000 will be labor. You're not getting any money for labor. That's a soft cost. You don't get money for marketing. You don't get money for labor. You don't get money for new software or computers. The purchase order has to be for materials going to that invoice. In other words, when, the, when you get paid, the materials all get paid back. You can't just take money, buy flags, and stick them in inventory. It's for this specific sale. So he says 50K for my flag material. He's going to take the 50K and he's going to pay for the flag material to the flag material vendor. So now they've been paid in full for their flag material because they may not want to extend this much credit to him. So they get paid for the flag material and they ship him the material he needs and he manufactures his flags. And he ships his flags to Walmart, and he gives Walmart the invoice for 100000 And the factor now comes in. It has now become an invoice that I can fund. So on that 100000 I give him 80%, $80,000. But what do you think I do with the $80,000? I'm going to pay off his PO guy. That's the only way he's going to be involved in this, because he knows I've got the UCC's file... <laughs> He knows. That's why, I don't, that's why I don't do it with real money. Because <laughs> he knows I got the UCC's filed. I'm in first position. Everything is cool. I'm going to pay him back. So I'm going to give him his 50000 whatever his fees are. And he's paid in full. Thank you, Clay. He's out of the transaction. The material vendors are out of the transaction. They've been paid. Now we're down to a factored invoice. Walmart pays me. I give him 20000 minus a discount fee. He's paid. He got his thing. And Walmart got their flags, everybody's happy, and I got paid as the factor. We got a lot of happy parties here. They got paid their money, and he took advantage of those discounts because he paid them in less than 30 days. P.O. guy made some fees, I made some fees, he got the materials he needed, made his profit, and Walmart got the flags they wanted. Now, the beauty of this is we have created an order where he might have zero dollars involved. He got a phone call, he got this P.O. from the government, he has no money. We took all the risk and provided all the oxygen to get this done for him. Okay, so what happens? What did he pay for this? Well, maybe he paid him a grand total here of uh, 7 or 8% on the high end. So he had a $40,000 gross profit in my example, right? It was 60000 for cost of goods, and 40000 was the gross profit. So if he's going to give up 7000 out of forty, and he's still walking away with thirty-three, this customer would have left. He's taking advantage of a big opportunity from three or $4,000 worth of flags to $100,000 worth of flags that he didn't even have any money to invest in. So he walked away with $33,000 gross profit without investing a penny. He's happy. <laughs> uh, this is uh, factoring versus loans, and if you look on the traditional lending side, you'll see strong credit required, multiple collateral, personal guarantee, a cap on how much you take. Obviously, strong restrictions, a lot of underwriting, heavy fees, and may have that zero out, zero out thing, right? 
And on the right side, if you have a lot of debtors, maybe you don't have one strong one, but maybe you have a whole lot of small ones. That works also, like a courier service. Or if you're even doing translations for 500 different customers and they're all small invoices, that's workable also because that mitigates risk. And then you have no fund restrictions. The account is open in 14 days. So this is something that can be done very quickly as opposed to the bank. You know, if you're doing an asset-based line, you have to allow 90 days for closing. If you're doing factoring, you allow 14 days. And this is the very oversimplified bookkeeping. You, you do bookkeeping or accounting? Oh, okay. So this is my simplified version. Yeah, right? If you have the paper, you have a million in paper and 200 in cash. If you're funding, you have 200 in paper and a million in cash. Which would you rather have? Yeah, so imagine yourself having all the money in your hands to do business with as opposed to having a lot of paper that you can't spend and pay bills. Remember now, both of these guys are profitable. The guy with the million in paper that has a gross profit in that paper is profitable. He just hasn't been paid yet. So he's got slow or no cash flow, but he's profitable. Funding companies usually come in when somebody's profitable. It's a performing income stream. And funding sources do want their portfolios to, to be paid like in 46, 50 days because they want eight turns on their money. You see, they get more turns on their money if they get paid more quickly. That's another reason that encourages them to get paid. Okay, so the benefits of factoring over traditional loan thing speaks for itself. Structure a factoring transaction and strengthen your financials with factoring. So why do I like factoring so much? By the way, let me say this to you. Uh, I do a lot of work with asset-based loans. I do a lot of work with real estate loans where somebody has a building with equity in it and wants to just simply borrow against the building, do that also. I also work with hard money loans, and that's exactly what they are. That's where you have some land and you just have terrible financials and you're willing to pay the piper. They call that hard money. You definitely want to avoid that at all risk, at all costs, because it's expensive. But Thank you for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. For a free quote on equipment leasing and financing, visit our website, applecapitalgroup.com. That's applecapitalgroup.com. And fill out the information to receive your free quote. We hope you'll join us for our next episode. And remember, you can always get to The Core via iTunes. You'll find all our previous episodes there. Thanks again for listening to The Core Business Show with Tim Jacquet. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.